um, I don't want to turn this into a sports <laughs> podcast. Uh, so allow me to say this, not looking at it from the lens of sports, just using it as an example. Um, I don't know what time you'll be watching this. I don't know what gear, but as of today, um, in the English Premier League this season, Arsenal have lost the lead. And it looks like, as you know, again, from the time we're in, they've lost to Manchester City and it looks like they might lose the league. And I give this as an example because I know a lot of people watch football and follow football at the very least. And I know it's been a very exciting season for them. But I use this example um, in relation to today's episode. Um, it's, it's, it's very possible for us to, to feel like we're in control when we're on a high, when we're on a streak, we're on a winning streak and we have been at the top of our game for the longest time. It, it looks like we have mastered the sport that is life. We have, we're doing things right. But what happens when after such a long run, you get hit out of nowhere um, because of our, of our own inconsistencies? I use football because it often comes down to the team's performance. Uh, it's a, obviously, and rightfully so, a performance-based um, merit that determines the winner. And in life, we get trapped in this bubble where we, when we're going through the highs, we easily fall into a merit-based performance. And it's well and good when we're doing the best when we're at the top of our game. But what happens when we get hit or knocked out or knocked down, not by other people's inconsistencies, but by our own failures and specifically our own moral failures? What happens then? Um, today's episode, we're going to dive into this um, as we look at the second installment of the series we're calling Like It or Not. So tune in. Um, let's get started. So um, again, I have to apologize for using the football example, but it's like the most, it's the most important thing happening today in sports. Uh, I really don't know how this season will turn out, but I, I, I personally don't necessarily watch football, but I like the banter that goes around it. And I know some people might disagree with the statement, but, uh, I'm trying not to get involved. <laughs> um, I've never been a huge fan, but I do love the analogy that I gave you, because it's something that really, really hit me hard uh, the past few days. It's something I've been thinking about heavily going into this episode. Um, and yeah, so if it's your first time joining us, welcome. If you have been with us for a while, welcome back. And I hope that this series has been blessing you. Oh man, I really, really hope. Um, my prayer has been, and my friend's prayers, everyone that has been involved in this podcast in one way, shape, a form has had the prayer of, you know, God reach that one, whoever that one may be. And I think what we always forget is that we are those ones. Like, not most days, but all days, we need God. We need the encouragement of God. And it's very hard for seasoned Christians like ourselves and whoever you are listening. Um, if you consider yourself a seasoned Christian, it's very easy for us to just be on this autopilot of, um, you know, 
morality or Christianity, Christianese, you know, where we live the Christian life. We know what to say. We know how to say it. We know what to pray, but we're not really known by God. And it can get really hard when we get hit because it comes out of nowhere. And because we've been living off of our own moral standing, all of a sudden we're brought to the realization that we don't have it in control. We will never have it in control and it will always be as hard as it was the first day for as long as we maintain control. Um, so this process of giving up and dying to self and acknowledging God is often, I, I would say, is harder as we get like into, as we get deeper into the faith. And again, I don't want to take anything away from from the closeness that we have in Christ through through relationship with him, through the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, that's what we're talking about today. I don't want to take anything away from that. What I want to focus our attention on is the fact that we can so easily get lost in our own moral standing, that when we fall, not if, but when we fall, we get into this pit of pity, of desperation, trying to kind of earn back um, because you've been on this amazing streak. And because that's the kind of mindset we have, it can be very easy for us to be deterred from our purposes or from our mission in in Christ for this world, in this world, um, and just be sidelined. Uh, that is not the heart of God. That has never been the heart of God. And that is why we are doing this series, like it or not. Now, episode one, or rather the previous episode, um, I think episode 12 or something. I don't know. Um, but the previous episode, when we kicked off this series, it was actually a part two of the episode that came before that, which was dealing with judgment. And we talked about in that episode, again, if you haven't listened to this, um, if you haven't listened to this four-part conversation, this we're on part two, uh, I would say not just go back to last week's episode, but go to the one before that on judgment because it lays a solid foundation. And as I've been doing the research and preparing uh, all this, I have seen that it actually lays a foundation for the whole series. So I'm glad, um, you know, through the Holy Spirit that I was able to do that. Um, and I was, I was, I was able to kind of form that foundation because it really, really has gelled in well with the flow of the series. Um, quite randomly, uh, yeah, I, I feel the urge to pray, so I don't know where this has come from, but let's pray. Um, dear God, thank you for everyone under the sound of my voice. I don't know where this finds them, and I I don't know why I'm praying now. This is not the plan. <laughs> I'm supposed to be getting into the episode. But, um, man, thank you. Thank you for, for the pain. Oh, I don't know why. Thank you for bringing us to our knees, either through being in awe of who you are or being left to our own desires that we come to the end of ourselves. Thank you because it is love. And it is not a twisted form of love. It is true love. This is love as you intended it. Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that you may just fill their rooms, physical spaces at the end. Let them feel your presence right now, wherever they're at, um, however hectic it may be, however calm it may be. May there be that peace that goes beyond all understanding. I pray for a physical feeling of peace um, that is obviously rooted in the foundational 
acknowledgement of the peace that you've given us through Jesus Christ and the death of the cross, a peace that surpasses all understanding. May that peace follow them. For everyone listening to this, uh, dealing with the highs and the lows of life, wherever they may be, um, I pray for that peace. I pray as we get into this episode and even through this entire series uh, that your peace may reign supreme and that that, thing, that may be the foundation over the foundation. Um, I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Um, amen. Wow, okay. So let's get into it. Today, in the second installment of uh, this series, is Like It or Not, God Loves. Um, the first one was Like It or Not, God Judges. And I, as I was doing the preparation, you know, I, I kind of wanted the God Loves um, conversation to be the last of the four. Uh, but as I was doing the second one about God judging, it came to me that the judgment can only be understood from the context of love. And so I didn't want to wait to the next one or like, um, like I, I don't want to push it to the last one because it fits kind of well with how, with the flow of how, how I want things to go. Um, as I was doing it, the spirit just revealed to me that actually judgment comes from a place of love. And this is something that we all know. Um, as seasoned Christians, again, we know, but we often kind of put such a large separation between judgment and love. And it is quite wrong to be blunt, but even that it is, it, it is not in the nature of God to separate love. It's, it's very weird because the other things can be separated. Like you can kind of separate love Ah, sorry, you can kind of separate judgment. Like, you know, there's a time that God judges. There's a time that he blesses. There's a time that he does all these things. But love, like we know God is love. Um, love is the nature of who God is. And I felt it was important. And I love that I started with judgment because that is a more difficult conversation to have. But I think for love, it is not necessarily difficult, but it is a strange one to have because it requires a kind of reforming of what we think of love, what we know as love, and the nature of God himself. And that's what I'm hoping to get into today. There's so many ways that we can go about the love of God and talking about it. And today will not be the typical one. Today I'm going to be focusing on four points um, that I hope in the time that we have together will be fleshed out really well. Because again, this is a deep dive into the things that we may like or not like about God. So here we go. Um, our anchor verse, uh, and I'm glad that most of us know this verse, Christian, non-Christian. Uh, it's a very, it's, I think it's the most popular verse, John 3.16. And it says, uh, I'm reading from the NLT version. Uh, we all know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. NLT says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave us his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, 17 goes on to say, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I want you to go back to the conversation we had um, in, of the last two episodes about judgment. There's different types of judgment. So I hope that you take that knowledge and you apply it into this word judge here um, when it comes to the to the position of Jesus on the world when he was sent by God the Father. I'm not going to get into that. It's a whole two episodes that I think were fleshed out really well. 
um, and more conversations regarding that to come. So I will leave that to um, past Israel <laughs> to kind of flesh that out um, and future Israel to deal with later when it comes to the conversation of judgment where I hope I will be joined by amazing individuals. There's something we're planning and I I know that it's going to be amazing, going to bless people. So pray into that. Uh, I know it's very ominous, but just, just pray. Um, anyway, so here we are. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Um, there's so much to unpack in this verse that I'm not going to unpack in this episode uh, that will require probably a whole series because um, that word belief, I love. I love the word believe and belief and what that looks like in the Christian faith. And I think I will do a series on what this means in a future episode not this season, uh, probably season three um, or four, who knows. But it's something that is on my mind because we need to understand that. But today I'm going to focus on the love of God in this world. And I'm putting that kind of verse, uh, John 3.16, as the heading of today's episode. So we're going to dive into different aspects and then kind of join it in. So when we read it again at the end, we will have a different understanding of what this love looks like. So, um, the love of God. We know the generic sayings, you know, we know the generic feelings and the generic understanding of what the love of God looks like. And, you know, there's the buzzwords in Christianity. Again, Christianese, you know, oh, it's the highest mountain, the lowest valley, the deepest of seas, the widest of, I don't know, was it oceans or chasms, the widest of chasms. Um, you know, that is the love of God. And it's true. It's very true. But there's a lot that is lost in regurgitating, 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 I don't know, regurgitating, kind of um, chewing the cud on this whole idea of the love of God. Because it's things we've heard, it's things that make sense, it's things that sound good. And we think about the love of God, not with the with a biblical understanding of what the love of God actually looks like. And like I said earlier, there's a vast like interpretation of the word of God, not by our own understanding. Again, going back to the previous episodes, we talked about um, reader interpretation and authorial intent. The authorial intent on the word of God uh, regarding the love of the Father is so vast and it's so multifaceted that I'm, I can't possibly get into it in one episode. I don't even think I can get into it in five. It might be a whole season in itself just talking about the word of God. Uh, sorry, the love of God. Uh, well, because it is the word of God. The word of God is love. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other story in itself. I am pulling on one string and this is where it starts. The love of God is a strong love. It is a love that is unchanging from before the beginning of time to after the end of time. That is the love of God that I'm focusing on today. And that love, the reason why I was kind of dogging on this whole idea of uh, buzzwords in, term, in, 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 in reference to the word of God is because we we so easily forget and we so easily separate God in the Bible 
because we have God, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Now, these are three, the three persons in one. That's, again, another conversation. There's so many conversations we're going to have, guys. And I'm so excited because it's a lifetime, it's a lifetime of learning and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but there's, there's that. So that's one thing. That's not, that's not what I want to focus on, but people take that and then they apply it to God, the father. And all of a sudden we have the God of the old Testament and we have the God of the new Testament. And we tend to focus a lot knowingly or knowingly, mostly knowingly. Um, I call it maybe intentional ignorance. Um, we focus on the love of God in the new Testament. We focus on verses like this, John three sixteen. We focus on, you know, what Jesus says about the Father and how the Father is good. And even in what Jesus says about the Father, we focus on very specific things, the things that make us feel good and feel loved. And that is where lies the problem. Separating God, or it may not be a separation, but we put God on a human scale where we have seen, quote unquote, an evolution of God in terms of like he changes how he thinks and he views us differently. And it's like the God of the Old Testament has grown. You know, he's like come to terms with who we are today. And it sounds very crazy when you say, because like that, well, when you say like that, no. But if we look at how we see God and how we've seen God, we don't relate a lot to the God of the Old Testament. We relate a lot to the God of the New Testament. And even in that, we relate a lot to the God of the New Testament as far as the Gospels are concerned. And when we get to the book of Revelation, all of a sudden we don't relate to that God. And it's very strange because we do it so, so seamlessly where it almost looks like that's how it's supposed to be. But that is not who God is. And if that is who God is, then that is not a God I want to worship. I will not worship a God who changes his mind. I will not worship a God who has the same mind as me that can be changed and can develop because the God that I know, the God that the Bible uh, declares is a God who is unchanging yesterday, today, tomorrow, which means that there is no new thought that occurs to God. God doesn't sit somewhere and say, ah, you know what? Something, something just occurred to me. No. Everything has occurred to God, everything, because if we say that he is perfect, that means that he is without any fault in knowledge. So if this is who God is, then we have to ask ourselves, and this is maybe a question you ask yourself personally, where has this idea of um, separation of God come from? Where has the idea of God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament, God of the New Testament, God of the Gospels, God of the book of Revelation, where has that come from? Is that not the same God? And if we do agree, and we should agree that that is the same God, then it opens up a whole box of even more deeper questions that are harder to acknowledge. Because we go to the Old Testament and we see that God. We see the God who was angry. People got struck. And then we come to the New Testament and we see, you know, if you're, if you're not careful, you'll see this very passive God, lovey-dovey. And that same care is what we also should have in the Old Testament. Because if we're not careful in the Old Testament, we will see God as a God who is constantly angry, constantly wrathful, constantly doing all these things, killing people left and right. If we're not careful in how we view the gospel, and by the gospel I mean the entirety of the word of God, it becomes very hard to not see God how we are seeing him today, which is a God of the Old Testament, God of the New Testament. And 
different facets of God who seems to be a God who is developing with us. And the danger of that, you know, the, the other danger, the second danger of that is in today's time, we see how that has been twisted, where all of a sudden God is being used and God is kind of confirming brand new lifestyles, brand new ways of faith, brand new understandings, brand new lifestyles of of things that are otherwise very sinful. And we see how people who have adopted that are using the same word of God to go and twist it because their foundation is we serve a God who changes. And that to them is love. That to them is a God who loves. But I'm here to read out the Bible to you and show you that he's the same God. The same God that created Adam and Eve is the same God that is going to condemn the sinners on the final day. Is the same God who's going to destroy the, you know, the, <laughs> the devil on the final day. He's the same God who sent his son to die on the cross for us. He's the same God who demands perfection from us. And is the same God who loves us. And that is where my first point comes in. My first of four points. The standard is perfection. And I've been saying this throughout this whole series. Well, last episode and even the first, uh, the episode before that on judgment. That's what I've been saying. The standard is perfection. And I want to start this um, in 1 Samuel chapter 5. And again, it's the full chapter. I'm not going to read it, all of it, because of the sake of time. Um, but it's it's a short, well, it's, it's, it's a kind of short story on what was happening in Philistia. And to give context, so the Ark of the Covenant was captured and taken to, um, you know, the Philistines, 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 forgive my grammar, Philistines, that's what it looks like it's called, the Philistines captured the Ark of God. And it went into all these cities and everywhere it went, something terrible happened that terrified their leaders that they had to move the Ark from town to town. Um, there were, you know, diseases, there were like um, the gods being broken. There was a lot happening that was just very scary to the to the people in that time. Uh, they were so scared. They were like, yo, we need to send this to a different town. We need to send this to a different place. And they eventually got to the place where like, yeah, we need to send this back to where it came from. And I started with this verse because I want us to see something as that we're going to trace back. Uh, they're going to trace forward. Uh, in this nature of God being love. In this time, you know, if you look at the Ark of the Covenant and go back to uh, when the Israelites were given the instructions of how to create the Ark and what the Ark of the Covenant meant, it was the perfection of God, or, or rather it was God on earth. It was a glimpse of what was to come through the person of Jesus and was a glimpse of what was to come in our hearts through the death and resurrection and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So God comes into this earth and he gives us a standard of perfection. He gives us a glimpse of what heaven looks like in the Ark of the Covenant, in both appearance, physical appearance, and spiritual um, spiritual meaning. Like this is what perfection looks like. This, And it, it wasn't to show off. It was to literally just show himself to his people. He said, this is who I am. And this is... This is the closest you will get to ever seeing or understanding my perfection or my nature when it comes to the love that I have for you. Because this was all an act of love. The Bible is a lot of things. 
And in one of those things, it is a love letter or a love story of God to a people that have rejected him countless times and him coming into the muck and the mire, rescuing us and setting us up through Jesus Christ to be able to be made right with him. And he starts this whole story by showing us what perfection looks like, not that we can try and earn it, but so that we can know that we really lack and that we are in need of a savior that is to come and that is with us and that has been with us before the, since before the beginning of time. So here, um, the ark has been stolen. It's been taken into all these places. And we're seeing that the standard being perfection cannot interact with anything that is less than. And this takes me to a verse that we have discussed in, um, in, in, previous times, um, I can't remember where it was, but we were talking about, um, I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, just bear with me. Uh, I can't, I can't find it. I can't find it on short notice. Uh, <laughs> lights and darkness. Guys, I promise you, I'm very professional, but today there's just something. It's in this one verse. It's in this one verse. I can't remember what it was, but it was uh, talking about, um, yes, 2 Corinthians, found it, 2 Corinthians 6. Uh, and we talked about this in the previous episode where it, uh, we, it is the juxtaposition of light and darkness. And, oh man, yes, I found it. 2 Corinthians 6 verse, um, this is 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16. And last time we talked about 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through to 18. Uh, and we focused on 15, if I'm not wrong. But today I want to focus on, 15, on 16. And it says, What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And then it goes on, as, as God said, that, you know, I will live with them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. It goes on and on, talking about the declaration that God has made when it comes to his relationship with us. But I want to focus on this first part. It says, and what union can there be between God's temple and idols? So this is the New Testament referring to um, in incidents that happened in the Old Testament. So we, I kind of wanted to set that up so we can understand uh, where this verse is coming from. It's, it's a referral in some way uh, to what was recorded in the scripture at the time, which is every time that we saw the presence of God, go to a place where there were idols, it didn't end well. People died, people were sick, people were struck, the gods, the idols were broken. And this is the standard of God. It is perfection. It's like you cannot take God, you cannot take the presence of God, the presence he has allowed us to have of him, the, the image that we have of him and mix it with anything else. It does not end well. And I wanted to kind of lay this foundation because... I want us to see where this puts us today when it comes to the standard of perfection. So fast forward from Fast Samuel to um, 2023. Jesus has come. He has gone. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. And therein lies the new temple. We have been given, you know, the law is now written not on stone tablets, but on flesh. Our hearts and our bodies are now the temple of God. So this verse starts to hit very different 
because now we're being told, what union can there be between God's temple and idols? And here we are. We are God's temples. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're going to talk about that shortly, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and through the mercy of God by sending his son to start all this for us. We are the standard of perfection, not in ourselves. That's why I said it, in Christ. We talked about being righteous last week. We are the standard of God. So what business do we have communing with idols? Mm. That hits, it hits, it hits, it hits different and it hits badly. Because what I'm trying to say or what the Bible is saying is, and what Jesus has said is that you are to be perfect. But we know that that's not the case. We know that we are constantly surrounded and we know that we give in to imperfections. We know that we give in to idols. We know that we give in to a lot of things that are not representations of God's temple. And so I want to put a pin on that because I want to jump back to the Old Testament. And this time I want to go to 2 Samuel. And I want to give an example of what, what it looks like when imperfection comes into direct contact with perfection. So this is first this is second Samuel chapter six, verse six and eight. So the con the context is the ark is being moved back to Jerusalem. And this is David after he has, you know, recaptured the Ark of the Covenant and he is transporting it. And we start from six all the way to eight. And it says, uh, again, this is in the NLT. But when they arrived at the threshing floor at uh Nacon, Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named the place uh, Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, and it is still called that today. Now it goes on to say, to speak of, you know, David's fear of God's anger and all that, because to him, much like to us, it seems unfair. It's like, God, I was, I was trying to hold, to make sure that your presence doesn't touch the ground. I was trying to, you know, I was trying to do something good. I saw something that you had blessed that was falling over. And this thing has meant so much to so many people and has caused, has been the cause of a lot of turmoil and has caused so many deaths. People who have stood by you and people who have tried to stand against you. And it was stumbling and I attempted to catch it. But I want us to see, and again, this is something that you could go and read up in the book of Exodus and see the standard that God had put in for anyone that was to approach his presence. There were so many requirements so that you could be in a place where you were worthy of coming into the presence of God, not because he is a narcissistic father, but because his presence, his nature cannot be mixed with anything that is not of his nature and anything that is tainted that comes into his presence will be dead. By nature, let that be known. And even when, if you read up in the book of Exodus, even when all the requirements, Exodus and Leviticus, even when all the requirements were met for an individual stepping into the presence of God, they still had 
to have a rope tied around them because there was a chance that they could do all those things and still not be worthy enough and die in the presence of God. So they had to be pulled out, dead. And here comes Uzzah, you know, overjoyed that they've recaptured the ark and they're moving it back to its home and it has stumbled and it is falling and he tries to support God. And God's nature cannot and does not mix with the nature of man because man is of sinful nature. And what happens when you come into contact with the nature is death. That same nature of God is what we see in 2 Corinthians 6. Like it now weighs heavy because it says, what union is there between God's temple and idols? And it says, for we are the temple of the living God. So now I want us to kind of let that sink in that every time being found in Christ, being the temple of God, that we have intentionally or unintentionally, with good intentions, with bad intentions, with the best of intentions, the most evil of intentions, however way your heart has been pressed as a believer who has accepted salvation and is righteous in Christ. Every time that we have interacted with an idol, that rule has stuck. That rule has stood that there is a penalty of death that must come upon you because you have attempted to mix in a nature that is not of God with a nature that is of God. Oh man, like I, 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 I read this and it hit me so hard and this is what I wanted to focus on. Like this is the love of God. We have come to this place where we now have the temple of the living God, not in a physical place that we go see and we go worship and we go pay pilgrimage to. No, he is now living within us. This doesn't take away from the importance of churches, the importance of the, you know, the historical places that house amazing stories about God. But those places don't have the power that we have within us when we come to Christ. Again, through the death and resurrection of Jesus and through the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. All of that power that these places held, the physical places, are now within us. And even the power they had is only a fraction to the power that has been made available to us when we come to Christ. And now because we are the temple of the living God, the standard of perfection has been moved into from a place that is somewhere far off to a place that we're in right now to who we are so our standards is perfection this is what i've been saying this whole time but it will be wrong for me to leave it here and just be like okay so standard is perfection and every time that you have fallen you are dead it will be very wrong to leave me to to leave it there because that is not the full story that's a half truth and that's a full lie so I want to leave it there, like put a pin on it as we go to the second point, which explains, which puts in the second part of this statement. And the second point leads us to Hebrews 9, or rather Hebrews 10. It starts from 9, but I'm going to focus on 10. And the second point is um, the perfect sacrifice. And it says in Hebrews 10, 12, it says, um, 
well, I'll, I'll start with 11, but there's a bigger context that you should go read up. Um, it's the sacrifice, like Christ's sacrifice once and for all. So it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands up and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again and can never take away sins. And this is it, uh, verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There, this is 13, he waits uh, until his enemies are humbled and made a footstand, uh, a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering he made over, uh, he, sorry, for by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. I love this verse. Um, I love 12 and that's what we're going to focus on. Uh, but I also love 14 because it seems like the tens is off, like the, the arrangement. It makes no sense because it says for by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And it's like, it makes no sense. How am I perfect, but I am being made perfect, being made holy? How am I holy, but still being made holy? Am I perfect, being made perfect? And this is the nature of God's love. And so I wanted to say this so I can go back and put it in context to the verse that we've read where we have perfection that is the standard we have been called to. And every single time that we fall short of that standard, the wrath of God that is rightfully, justfully present falls on someone. And that wrath is death. And I say that because I want us to kind of now get a brand new weight on what it looks like when Jesus was on the cross. When this verse says that he made a sacrifice once and for all, good for all time, I love how it says this. And then now he sits down at God's right hand. He made a sacrifice good for all time. A single sacrifice for sins. Every single time, because now we have perfection within us, every single time that we fall short, that death that Uzzah faced is put upon Jesus. And it was put upon Jesus all in one instance when he was at the cross. Past, present, future for every single person that will ever come to Christ. All of that was put on Jesus. And not just those who will come to Christ, but even the doorway that leads us to Christ. There was a sin that demanded a penalty of death to open up that door, to tear that veil that would allow us to be invited in. All of that in one instance was put on Jesus and that is the death on the cross and that is the weight of the perfect sacrifice. Yo. Oh man. This... It hit me hard and it is hitting me even harder as I'm speaking it now. And I don't want us to miss something because again, it's something that people always miss where we separate Jesus from the father. This is what happened to Jesus. But remember, this is God's plan. Because the anchor verse, John 3, 16, for God loves the world so much that he initiated this plan 
to bring us back together with him. To mend that thing that we had broken. That we had broken. Never forget that. We broke that. We were inside perfection. All of everything that was meant to be working well was working well. But we chose to walk away from it and to break it in the process in a way that it cannot be reversed unless there is a perfect sacrifice. That is Jesus. And God initiated that because he loved us so much. This is the love of God. And if you like it or not, you do not qualify for this love. You never have. You never will. There is no, you have not had a good day that was worthy of even beginning to take on the weight of what Jesus took on to complement any single thing that Jesus ever did on that cross. Never. And you will never, ever, ever, on the flip side of it, you will never, ever, ever do anything that will be undeserving of the love of God. See, I, I'm starting to see the weight when Jesus was praying and he was like, this cup of suffering, God, this is a lot. And I've missed it for so long until I started doing this study in preparation for this episode where it hit me afresh because I always knew the weight of sin. I was like, oh, it's so bad. And I understood it in a great way. And I thank God for that understanding. But this hit me hard because, yo, this was the weight that Jesus was like, this, this is heavy. And he asked God, is there any way that this thing can be done that does not involve me having to go on that cross because that is a death for every single human being for every moment of their lives for as long as they breathe happening all at once and all the wrath of God being taken on and being like being taken on over us over the death that we would be receiving that happens in an instant because of the nature that we had and being put on Christ. Jesus is like, is there any other way? And God is like, I'm so sorry, but there isn't. This is the only way. And you will have to take this because I love these people. And Jesus went on the cross because he loved us. And this is the love of God. And if you like it or not, every single person that has access to Christ is under this love of God. This particular explanation, the love of God, every single person. And that's why whenever I have conversations with people, um, when we're talking about tragedies that have happened or, you know, difficult subjects, I always start by saying, are you ready to forgive? And are you ready to love? If it's a conversation about rape, a conversation about abortion, a conversation about murder, a conversation about corruption, whatever it is, I always ask them. For this person that we're going to discuss, even if they've been found guilty or not in the court of law, if they're serving their sentence, if everything has come to light that they really did what they did or it's in question, my concern is, are you ready to love and forgive? Because if you're not, then this is not a conversation you should be having because you don't understand the weight of what Jesus did on the cross and the ultimate weight of God the Father when he says that he loves us. Because if that person has been forgiven by God and has been loved in a way that they have access to the Father and you do not want to give them that same access that was given to you, 
deserving of the same death for what you might see as a lot less, then you're not ready for any conversation that will lead you down a path that would cause you to be even more unforgiving and lead you away from the love of the Father that he has for us and ultimately cause you, when you come to the end of your day, to now have the full wrath of God apart from the saving power of Jesus and experience that when the person who you thought would be experiencing that wrath is actually saved in Christ. I will not be part of the conversation that will lead you to that kind of damnation. Because that is a lack of understanding of the love of God in our lives. Mm. Guys, it hit me hard. <laughs> it hit me so hard. And I want to build up on that as we go to the point, to the third point. And this is quite simple. The law is fulfilled. So the standard is perfection. Jesus comes in and he gives us and he gives himself as the perfect sacrifice. But why does he do this? Because he is to fulfill the law. And this is in Matthew 5, verse 17 to 20. And I love 20. And those of you that know me know that I love 20. But I want to give it in this context. So this is Jesus teaching about the law. And he says, Do not misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment, this is just what I was talking about, and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom. You, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And this is, this is 20 that I love. That people don't like, but like it or not. <laughs> Jesus said this. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is far better, in other verses it says far greater than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has set a standard. He has set the standard of perfection. He has declared himself the perfect sacrifice. And he has spoken and said that the law is to be fulfilled and not to be abolished. This is what I was saying at the beginning. The same God, the Old Testament God is the New Testament God, is the God that we have today, this very moment, or wherever you're listening to, is the same God. And if you miss out on the love that he has in the Old Testament, you will miss out on the wrath that he has in the New Testament. And you will miss out, if you miss out on those two things, then it comes to the world that we're living in today. And that's why we have a lot of reader interpretation of who God is. It's not who he is. It's never been who he is. It will never be who he is. He is a God of love. And in his love, his nature is perfection. And he has never and will never, ever, 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 not be who he said he is. Because that is in his nature. And Jesus now is saying, the law is fulfilled in him. And not just that, he goes on and adds, because this verse 20 is very unnecessary, but he's like, you know what? Let me add something on there. Because some of you don't understand the weight that I'm about to take on on that cross. The righteousness that you have. You see these teachers of the law, these people that have been, have dedicated their entire lives. Understand that. Their entire lives, they have dedicated it to studying the word, 
knowing it inside and out and being in a place where God speaks directly to them to speak to the people. These people, your righteousness must be a lot better than theirs. And that, it, like there was, there, basically Jesus was saying, you must be perfect because there was no other level above the, the religious teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And this is interesting because it's the same people that he calls, you know, a brood of vipers. He tells them the father's the devil. So he's like, this is the level that you, that this is the level that you're on. But the level you're supposed to be on should be a lot greater than this. There should be no imperfection found in you. It's very interesting because if you leave it there, then we have no hope. And again, going back to last week's episode, Jesus says that's where you need to be. Because when you have lost hope in your humanity, then you find hope in Christ. Because in the impossibility, the very real impossibility of knowing God and being known by him is where there is hope in the possible because he's the God of the impossible. This is the love of God. And Jesus has come in and he has fulfilled this word. He has become the perfect sacrifice and he has maintained the standard of perfection that we may walk in it. This is the love of God. And the final point, this is in Romans 8, verse 1 to 4. And the point is, we say yes. So after that, amazing standard that has been set from the Old Testament to the New Testament and continues to go with us. After that standard has been set, here we go, Romans 8, 1 to 4. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit that freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Oh, sorry, has freed you. I'm going to start again. So now there is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the wickedness of our sinful nature, Uzzah. That's why he died. The weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. There is so much power in this. So much freeing power. And it wrecks me every time I read it. And even now I am close to tears, but I know that I need to hold it together <laughs> and finish this. There is now no condemnation, guys. There is no condemnation. I, I have this um, for my close friends who have access to my phone. Um, we have this. I'm team Android and I love it. Um might switch to iPhone, who knows? Uh, or just get both. I don't know. Anyway, I digress. Um, I have my always on display and it's, it's this verse. It is this verse. Um, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now, there's therefore no, now no condemnation, 
um, to those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because again, people that know me know how much I overthink <laughs> and I'm so critical of myself. And it's so easy for me whenever I make a mistake, big or small, to go down into condemnation. And as I'm doing this episode, like I trust me, I'm learning with you. Um, as I'm doing, as I am speaking to you right now, I am seeing the standard of perfection. I am seeing the perfect sacrifice. I am seeing the law fulfilled and I'm seeing the weight of all of that that is put on me that is impossible for me to bear. And all I have to do is say yes. Say yes to Christ. Say yes to God. Say yes to the love of God because if I like it or not, like when I am my own worst enemy, when I like it or not, I am loved by God. And I have access to him. And it is not from anything that I have done to earn it. And it is not from being in any right or special standing with God. If anything, it is where I stand. I am the worst of the worst of the worst. And this is something that we need to get to get in our heads as Christians. And I was having a conversation with a couple of friends. I've had this conversation um, throughout the years uh, with my really, really close and best friends. We need to stop being in this space where we see ourselves as worthy of being saved because we have already been saved. It is a sickening idea where we believe because we are seasoned Christians, we begin to believe that there's something that we did, a special thing that we did that allowed us to be saved or allowed God to take, to take pity on us that that was a good thing. That we stood somewhere, we were somewhere, we were doing something and God was like, I love you specifically and I'm going to save you. But for that other person, they're going to have to do something different. We need to stop that. We need to stop writing ourselves into the Bible as the good guys. And I'm going to say right now, this whole idea of David and Goliath, we need to stop seeing ourselves as David. We are not David. We are Goliath. Jesus is David. Jesus is the one who swings that stone and it hits our heads and we die and he cuts off our heads because that is how we die to self. We cut off the head. We cut off the head that we have and we fall into the headship of Christ. We need to stop seeing ourselves as David. I mean, if you want to see yourself as David, see yourself as David when he was an adulterer. We never talk about that. We never write songs about David when he was, when he killed a man's wife so he could sleep with, uh, so, so he could rape his wife when he killed a man and sent the man down in the battlefield with a letter that, that was his own death letter. We don't sing about that. Why do we sing about David and Goliath and assume, well, very loudly assume that we're David's and we're going to fight our Goliaths. Why? David was a type of Jesus, a failed one. <laughs> and every time that he succeeded, that was a demonstration of what is to come in Jesus. This may hit you hard, but you're not David. You're Goliath. I am Goliath. And it is only when we die that we find life. The giants that come before us, that's a whole bunch of nonsense. And we need to stop falling into this shallow Christianity.
that is all about God fighting for us. No, no, no. God first fought us. He first fought us. That has to be the foundation. We were not found in right standing with God and then God was like, okay, you're doing good, come over. No, no, no. We were in total rebellion. We were the Philistine. And Jesus is the one who looked at us and said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine blaspheming the Lord God? And through his death, his resurrection, and the availability of the Holy Spirit given to us, he is saying, you come to me, but coming to me would mean that you must die and your head must be cut off. Because the sword that cuts off the head is the sword that gives you everlasting life. You are not David. Let that be known. And I'll say that over and over again. And stop singing the songs that put you in the line of David or all that nonsense. The love of God cannot be experienced, cannot be made available to us if we see ourselves as being worthy of saving because there's something that we offered God that no one else on this earth has. And it's a hard truth, but it's a truth nonetheless, like it or not. All we can do, and even in doing that, is not in our own strength. It takes God to know God, to love God, for God, <laughs> is to say yes. And it only gets harder and easier at the same time. It gets harder because every day, and I'm guilty of this, every day we are to wake up and... Choose God. It's a choice that gets harder and easier at the same time. It gets harder because the devil is after us. It gets easier because the spirit is living within us. And for the days that we fall short, because we have the right understanding of who God is and the love that he has given us and the perfect sacrifice we have in Jesus and the redeeming power, where we have no condemnation in Christ anymore, and that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, because we know that, it becomes that much easier to get back up. And on the highs, the days that we are riding high, pride escapes us. And the days that we are riding low, depression escapes us. Because no matter how high you are or how low you are, the love of God that sustains us is the same. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to lose it. I know that opens up a whole new conversation. And I firmly believe that because we cannot earn salvation, we cannot lose it. <laughs> and I think I've put in a good case on the weight of that salvation. What power do we have to lose it if we had nothing to do in earning it? That's a whole conversation that is very philosophical, and I will have it one day with the right people. Um, but let's focus on this. Man, the love of God. It is big. It is so, so big. Oh, man, it is. Oh, man, there is nothing you can do. Like, friend, <laughs> there is nothing you can do. that would disqualify you from this love of God. 
and and like this comes with a caveat. There is there is something you can do. You cannot accept it. That's the only way that you cannot have the love of God by not accepting it. <laughs> but there is nothing that disqualifies you from this love of God within your actions. Wherever you are found, it is available for you. And us in Christ. There is nothing that you will ever do that would cause God to love you any less. That we need to know because that's what the devil is doing today. He is causing us to have this highs that cause us to think that we can add something to the cross. And the moment we get there, then he attacks us so powerfully that we remember how evil and bad we have the capacity to be. And in that moment, he starts whispering in our ears how we are never worth of this love. And at that time, instead of accepting that as a beautiful truth, we accept it as a condemnation because we have felt like we've been earning God and his love and his kingdom and his things. Man, I can't tell you how many times I have been in that trap. And I can't tell you how many times right now that when I've fallen into that trap, I have snapped out of it immediately because I remind the devil I am found in Christ. My perfection is Christ. And every single mistake that I have made, I atone for. Yes, I go and I repent for that. But I get right back up because I know that I did not earn this love. I did not earn the sacrifice of Jesus. He gave it to me knowing what I had done, knowing what I would do, knowing what I am doing. And that frees me not to continue to sin. Understand that. And Paul talks about this. Not to continue to sin. But so that I am free to worship him knowing that he cares for me so deeply and his love is so amazing. And if I like it or not, he loves me. As simple as that. Now, do we have a part to play? Yes. There are things that we've been called to do. That is, And it's a very simple thing that, again, is a very hard thing. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Paul talks about this, um, you know, he he mentions this like, oh, so be- because you know that grace abounds, does that mean that you go and sin? Or oh, it means that you have that knowledge, you acknowledge it, you understand the weight of everything that has come before you and everything that is coming after you and you acknowledge the weight of salvation, that when you fall, intentionally or unintentionally, you run back to the Father. And every single day, just like his mercies that are new every morning, we wake up and we seek him anew. Whatever we did in the past, good or bad, it's in the past. We leave it there. And we start today. It's like, God, today I woke up. Thank you for that. I want to seek you afresh. Like, I don't know you. I want to seek you like I don't know you. I want to have the, I want to have the hunger like I've never met you. Like I'm meeting you for the first time. I want to have that angst for that perfection. I want to read my Bible and I pick it up and I want to pray. And it's something that we, it is not naturally found within us. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And we need him deep within us so that he can always convict us and encourage us and rebuke us and keep us in Christ, in Bible reading and in prayer. And if you fall short of this, I know I have. I know I have. There is no condemnation. He simply says, now you know. Let's go again.
And that's where I'm going to leave us today. If you like it or not, God loves. And that love is a holistic love that is so strong, so, so strong. And I don't want us to downplay that love in any way, shape or form. And that's why I wanted to go down this direction in explaining the strength of God's love and landing it here. Man, I love you guys. <laughs> Nowhere as much as God loves you. And my prayer and encouragement for myself as I've been speaking and for you is that, man, we gain this understanding. We understand that the standard is perfection. Never forget that. No matter how high or how low you are, never forget that the standard is, the standard is perfection. Never forget that the sacrifice given to Christ, given through Christ was perfect. Never forget that in that perfect sacrifice, the law was fulfilled to open the door, to tear the veil for us. That we may never forget that we, all we have to do is say yes. And that love of God may continue to sustain us and keep us until I see you guys next week. Have a beautiful time. Love you all. <laughs>